Morning, Grace. Morning. Isn't it good to be together? Yeah. I, I miss this, so like, during Stand and Greet, it's wonderful to connect, but like when you're speaking, you have to come up here and get set, so I don't get to greet people. So, greetings. <laughs> it, was, it was really nice a couple people did do a shout out during Stand and Greet, so, uh, so thank you. It's so good to be part of the family of Grace, and uh, we are a family. Uh, God has blessed us so much by bringing light to our eyes and life to our, li- our lives, and uh, we just celebrate who He is. And we have an opportunity to, uh, to celebrate coming up this season, but not just with those who are always part of the family of grace, but those that God may be calling to grace. Uh, so I'd like to direct your attention to your bulletin. If you have a bulletin, if you would open it up, and inside is a card. And the card is an invitation um, that we're going to actually pray over in just a minute. Uh, but believe it or not, it's 45 days till Christmas. <laughs> Panic settles across the ground. <laughs> it's 45, 45 days till Christmas, but in three weeks, we're going to beginning, be beginning our Advent series. And that series is uh, From Manger to Majesty, and that's uh, on the one side of the card. And, um, and through that Advent series, our, our focus is to be preparing our hearts and our lives for the, the celebration of the coming of Jesus to the world. Uh, so what this card is that you may think, hey, this is a uh, reminder to put on my refrigerator. Uh, yes and no, okay? Uh, we do want to keep you to keep this before you, but we want to encourage you uh, to use this card as an opportunity to invite others to hear the message of Christ, not just at Christmas Eve. That's going to be the climax of the Advent series on Christmas Eve where we'll have the two services, and the place will be packed for both services. That's wonderful, but Advent is a time of preparation. We want to encourage you to invite people to journey with us through Advent. Uh, so, again, that's going to be beginning in three weeks. Uh, you know, the last two weeks of, of, this, of this series, uh, we've been focusing on reaching out and sharing the love of God with others. And this is a tool. Sometimes it's hard uh, maybe to initiate a conversation where you feel like you're really witnessing. This is a witness. It's saying, first of all, that you are associated, you are connected to the one that you are promoting. And then it's also an opportunity, again, uh, to place this in somebody's hand and say, I invite you to come with me in worship. So what we're going to do is just take a moment and pray over the, the cards. So if you have a card, uh, if you want to hold it up before the Lord, you can. If you want to just uh, hold it in your hands. And if not, I'm just going to ask you for, to join me in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, God, for who you are. And God, we thank you that you're not a God who is, a, is far off, but you are a God who is near. God, and we, we, when we look at the coming of Christ to earth, we see how you ha- have come and touched feet on this ground. God, you've walked among us. So, Lord, as we celebrate your coming to this earth, God, we pray that you would use us to reach out to others. God, that others may come to hear and to receive the message of Christ. God, we pray that you would lead each one of us and that you would give us wisdom as far as when and how and who to reach out to. God, we pray your blessing over these cards and the many other cards that are going to be coming and being distributed. And, Lord, we pray that you would draw to this place those that you are calling. God, we pray that hearts would be open, that lives would be open, that transformation would happen. We know that this can only happen by your Holy Spirit. God, thank you that you use us to participate with you. We offer this all to you in praise. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So as I said, um, you know, certainly don't hesitate to uh, put that on your refrigerator, but let it be a prompting. Uh, there are going to be a lot more uh, cards out there next week at the Connection Center, so you're not limited to one. You're going to be able to take, take a lot. So again, use this as an opportunity as God leads you to reach out to others and share uh, the message of his life and love. So we've just finished up an eight-week series uh, called Growing Deeper Still. 
And through the series, we've uh, looked at how God wants uh, to, to settle into our lives in a way that's going to take us from a planting in the ground to a tree that brings uh, great fruit. Now, at the beginning of the series, you were given a, many of you were given a plant. How many people received a plant at the beginning of the series? Now, the instructions, some of you, I know you received it, but you didn't want to raise your hand because you know what's coming next. <laughs> so the plant was given out with this in mind, that as you nurture that plant through the series, it's going to be a reminder to nurture uh, the Word of God and, and what God's doing through the series. So um, <clears throat> over the course of those weeks, uh, we had two plants in our home, and uh, they made it to the end of the series. Anybody else have your plant make it to the end of the series? Wonderful. Now, I, that's, we celebrate together. And then I confess, okay, so um, I said it made it to the end of the series. The series ended last week, and so did the plant. So <laughs> um, Joel has been the one that has nurtured our plants, and they've grown and done wonderfully, and uh, she was way of the retreat at, um, at Revive last weekend. So it was just a couple days, but when she got home, they needed Revived, and we decided not to. So, uh, so our plants didn't make it, but <laughs> they made it through the series. But here's the reason that I brought that to light, is that... We never want a series to end, that what we deposit and grow in the series is meant to be ongoing. So instead of growing deeper still, we want to pick up this message, still growing deeper still, that, that we continue and that we move forward in what has been deposited in our hearts and the focus that God has planted. So just a, as a matter of a quick review, these four things I know have become so significant in my life, and I trust that they've been burned into your heart and into your life that we rest in God to risk in God. We rest in God to risk in God. These are the roots. So in order that we can be formed by God, so we can be found in God by others, that's the fruit. And you know, what's, what's amazing to me is that as we've been studying, in fact, as a staff, we're continuing this study. So just uh, to help you understand what's, what's helpful as far as with the series is that we're, we're continuing going through this process together and studying together in, in small groups as a staff because we want this to become more and more embedded in our lives. And, you know, I noticed just within the last week or two, um, some of the things that I learned early in the series, I had forgotten. Like, I, I knew it was there. I had learned it. But yet in the midst of a situation, I didn't realize until the Holy Spirit quickened and said, that's wind. That's wind. You know, you can fight against it or you can allow it to grow and to strengthen you. So what we trust is that you, again, take what has been planted, literally, and let it be formed and let it grow into your lives. Now, focus of the, of the series has been Isaiah 61.3, when it says that, again, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And I was really captured uh, just last night, that phrase jumped out, planting of the Lord. You know, when you look at an oak tree, how often do you think what that began as? We see a mighty, majestic oak, incredible tree but it began as an acorn. And that's, uh, that seed that falls into the ground is so critical. And that's what we're actually going to be, uh, be looking at today as we go through this message, um, the seed that falls into the ground. Now, the potential for one tree is absolutely phenomenal. I was reading a little bit on oaks, and um, there are some trees in, in certain years that can drop 10,000 acorns. 10,000. Within every one of those acorns is the potential for another tree. Yeah, I mean, this is the beauty of what God does in his creation, and he uses his creation to help us to understand life and spiritual life and principles of life. That an acorn planted in the ground, goes in the ground, grows roots, becomes a tree, and then blesses so many others. 
and it's an extent far beyond what, than what we can comprehend. But God uses nature to, uh, to again, help us to understand spiritual things. But today, uh, the title of the message is The Door to Eternal Life. And if I would begin by asking you this, um, what is the door to eternal life? You may have something come quickly to your mind, and then you say, wait, 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 I think it's a trick question. Because I said, what is the door to eternal life? Now, if I said what, you might not say the, the answer, but if I say this, who is the door to eternal life? Who is the door to eternal life? Yeah, okay, that wasn't a trick question. So, but, but he is the door to eternal life. He is the door. But what we're going to be looking at today is a key process in Jesus and in life and in life eternal. So we're going to be looking at the door to eternal life. I'm going to ask you if you would, uh, again, just join me in prayer. And I want to um, just commit myself afresh to God. I appreciate your prayers because I've prepared and then I just lay this before God. And I hope that you've prepared your hearts. And if not, you may, be, you may have come in and right now your mind and your life is going in tons of directions. I want to just invite you to settle and to rest and to prepare yourself to hear whatever God wants to speak to you. Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you for your amazing, endless, boundless love for us. God, you are good. Lord, in our worship, we do want to lift songs and prayers to you. And we desire, Lord, to present ourselves to you. So, God, I offer myself to you and pray, God, that you would speak through me whatever you desire to speak. And, God, let my words be of you. And, God, I pray that your word would be received by every listener. God, that you would tune each one of us to hear your word. God, open our minds and, and lead us in the way of understanding. And God, open our hearts, God, that we can receive your word and that transformation can happen from within and then be manifested throughout our lives. God, I thank you for your incredible love for every single individual. God, I thank you that each one that's hearing my voice, whether in this worship center or in the cafes, God, or online, Lord, that your love for each one is so incredible. God, let us experience your love. Help us allow your light to bring life to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray these things for God's glory. We want him to be glorified in our lives. We want him to be lifted up. Um, so... The title, again, is The Door to Eternal Life, and I'd like to start by focusing on the eternal life part. And when we think of eternal life, we often think of, of eternity, of, of living forever and ever and ever and ever. And according to Scripture, everybody lives on forever and ever and ever. The, the death of this body is not death of life. But after this life, there is eternal life. For those that are in Christ, that's eternal life in heaven. According to Scripture, for those that are not in Christ, it's eternity in hell. But specifically what we're talking about, the door to eternal life, is a door to eternal life that is in a forever existence with God, in his presence, in his open presence. And eternal life is not just meant for beyond this life, and we're going to be talking about that, but eternal life is something that God desires to start here and now in us. <clears throat> so we are talking about life that goes on forever. I'd like to look at the definition that Jesus gave in John chapter 17. This is his high priestly prayer. And in that prayer, he defines eternal life in a way that I'd like for us to embrace. He said this, now this is eternal life. Pretty clear definition, right, what he's about to say. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I want that definition to just settle in. This again was in Jesus' prayer in the garden. 
and as he's pouring his heart out to God, um, we hear his communication with God, but yet we receive so much revelation about life and about who he is and what he is doing. But he says this again, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So it's knowing God. It's coming into relationship with God. It's not saying this is eternal life that they would know about you. Huge difference. That's knowledge, that's intellect, and we need that. But what he's talking about is an intimacy, a closeness, that they would know you. That they would know you. Think about that. Coming into a personal, intimate relationship with God, the creator of all things. That they would know you and that they would know me. That's, that's Jesus' call. When we come to know and to grow in knowing God, we're experiencing a taste of eternal life. The eternal life is a gift that God desires for us to receive now. When we step into heaven, then we experience in a whole other measure and for time without end. So this is the foundational text um, that, that we're going to be talking from in John, uh, John chapter 12. So we're going to back up just about five chapters. And if you want to uh, read along, we're going to be looking through a couple verses in this one passage. But we're going to be going to John chapter 12. And we're looking at words that, God, that Jesus spoke just prior to this prayer. Okay, so not too long before this, Jesus had, had uh, performed this incredible miracle of, of raising Lazarus from the dead. Uh, that really started the ball rolling in an ex accelerated way where the religious leaders wanted to kill him. Uh, to top things off, just before Jesus said what we're going to look at, um, he had come into Jerusalem, and it was what we call Palm Sunday, and crowds are rejoicing. They're declaring uh, praises to him. They're shouting, Hosanna, Savior. I mean, the whole crowd is, is turning toward Jesus in great celebration, and this stirs things up even more, okay? So it's just after that that we come to this text um, where, where Jesus is responding, and I'm not sure exactly how this conversation is happening. So Jesus had just come into, uh, into uh, Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Uh, it said that, again, the city was turned upside down. And the religious leaders were actually concerned. They said people are coming to him from all over the world. And then it goes into this, uh, this dialogue where it says that uh, a, a Greek person came to one of the disciples and said, we want to see Jesus. And I just want to commend right now, like any time we make that declaration, there's something significant that's happening. When we say we want to see Jesus, and I hope that's what, that, that's what each one of us are saying today. We want to see Jesus. We want to see him. But in response to that, we have uh, this text that we're going to be reading. <clears throat> I'm sorry, let me back up here just a second. Okay, um, <clears throat> we're going to be reading this text. There we go, from uh, verses 23 to, through 28. So this is John chapter 12, right after one of the Greeks are, are coming to, Jesus, to one of the disciples and saying, we want to see Jesus, and this is what Jesus says. Verse 23, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. But my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this re very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. 
The key verse that we're going to be looking at this morning is verse 24, where, where Jesus makes this strong, strong, powerful statement that literally is going to split history in half. And he says this, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus was saying this about the death that he was about to experience. We can see that what he says makes sense. We referred earlier to the acorn, that the acorn falling into the ground and dying is what produces the oak tree. Jesus is using the illustration of wheat. He says that unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. It's that multiplication factor. And what Jesus is speaking here is that the door to eternal life is death. I want to let that sink in. The door to eternal life is death. Now, the door is the passageway into something else, right? The door is a passageway that we walk through. So the rest of this message is going to be focusing on three deaths. We're going to be speaking to that. And um, I tell you, I really wrestled with this message. I, I, when I was asked to, uh, to speak this, for this morning, it was like, I felt like God immediately drew me to what I was supposed to be speaking about. And I've been wrestling with it because I knew the focus of the message was going to be death. And my wrestling was this, is that death is so painful. Death brings so much hurt to us. There's many of us that, um, that we want to avoid this subject because it hurts so bad. And that's understandable, believe me. I can appreciate that. I've walked through losses in my own life and walked beside many people who have lost, lost loved ones. And death is painful. But I could not share this. I felt that God was leading to me that, to, to this specifically. For those that are, that are hurting right now, it, it's raw. Maybe you've just experienced a loss. There's some in here that, uh, that are literally in that valley of the shadow of death right now. Maybe losses that you've experienced in the past, but yet the pain is so real. Um, I want to encourage you to grab the hand of Jesus and walk through this time with me. I'm confident that the Holy Spirit is leading us to this because he wants to lead us. He wants death to be a doorway to eternal life. He wants us to understand this. So please don't think that there's any disrespect. I'm, I prayed for you. Others are praying for you. And I believe that God will help you as we walk through uh, this scripture together. So before um, we go any further, I, I want to just touch on a couple things about death. First of all, Hebrews chapter 2 says this, that by our nature we're held in slavery by our fear of death until the bondage is broken. That by nature, the fear of death puts us into slavery. Slavery is something that is beyond our control. It's something that has a grip on us, and we cannot find freedom. But we're going to find that freedom today. But again, this is the power of death that works against us. But I want to go back, and I want to look at the origin of death. We're going to look at some scriptures, um, some, a couple different passages from Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3. And I know that many of you already know. It's like, hey, been there, understand. I know, I know where this is going. But I want us to look at a couple things that I think that God wants to reveal to us as we look at these passages. Uh, so as we look at the origin of death, I want to begin in uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. And this is at, at creation. 
the scripture says this, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of, of, of good and evil. So we have two trees in the center of the garden. Then down in verse 15, it says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden uh, of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, this is a great command, You are free to eat of any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat it, you will certainly die. Are those instructions clear? Okay, Jesus said, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Can, I, can we all say any tree? Any tree. You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, except one. Now, I mean, I want you to think about that. That's a wide open space before you. One restriction, okay? So then we go to Genesis chapter 3, the first part, first five verses. And again, many of you know where this is going. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, listen to this question. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Do you hear this monumental twist? Okay, the command of God is you may eat from any tree in the garden except one. The serpent is saying this. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Could there have been a bigger distortion of God's command? But I want to let you know what happens is that the enemy is going to come to us and distort the word of God so badly. Like in our minds, it seems like this should be obvious. This is a trick. The trick is coming. But what he's doing is that he's asking a question in such a way that is in such opposition to God that it's going to plant a seed of question and doubt within our minds. And I, I, I want to challenge us to ask God to give us awareness when the enemy's playing his trick on us because he, he does the same thing, okay, over and over. His schemes are not unknown to us, but yet if we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to, to help us, we can get caught in his schemes. So he's, again, totally twisting, and he's asking us a question. He's not saying in opposition. He's just asking the question. The question is what plants the seed of doubt. You know, and what happens is as a, as a society, I'm seeing us asking absolutely absurd questions, that leads us to the strange place because just the question has planted a seed that then starts to grow. Does that make sense? So be careful with the questions that cross your path and ask God to give you wisdom to how the enemy is trying to just ask a question. That seems innocent enough. Just ask the question enough to plant a seed of doubt and mistrust in, in our minds. So again, he, he asked this question. In verse, uh, verse 1, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the ser serpent, um, she refuted him and said, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. She understood. She understood the command and even repeated it and said, I know the consequence is death. Okay, I understand. So she said it back. But then the serpent makes this bold statement. You will not certainly die. So then he's going to plant a seed of, of doubt in our hearts, and then he's going to go head on against what the Word of God is saying, what the command of God is speaking. You will not, cert you, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. 
you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And what happens is that pride steps into Eve's life as well as into our lives. And we want to rise up in a way that is our own self-exaltation, and it brings the fall. So we know how the story went. Eve listened, she looked, she ate, she shared. And death entered. Death entered. Can you imagine, I was trying to, I was trying to picture how we could in some way um, just experience a little taste of what happened at that moment. I, I don't know what, what happened around as far as in the garden, but what happened in the heart and the soul of Adam and Eve at that moment? Because all of a sudden their eyes were open. They saw they were naked. They had eaten of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and death entered, came in. History's forever changed. Now, I think I've probably said this before, but let's not blame them. Because if any one of us had been in that garden, good chance it would have been our names in the book instead of theirs. Okay? Um, but <clears throat> what happened again was, was Adam and Eve looked at, at, what, at what God had provided as far as direction. And what to them seemed narrow and confining, which was, but was, was really broad and loving. You know, just one simple restraint, one simple constraint. And all of human history has changed. So the curse comes on man. Curse comes on woman. Those who have suffered in, in childbirth, part of the curse. Okay, um, working by the sweat of our brows and briars and all these things. So curse came on man as well as creation as a result and death entered. Death entered the world. So Adam and Eve tried to cover their nakedness. They sewed leaves together, but God came searching. He said, where are you? There, there's a conversation that happened again. The curse came. But here's what happens then. In Genesis 3, beginning with verse 21, Scripture says this. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must, listen to this, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden, to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming, flashing, uh, or sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So again, he, he put this restriction, he removed them from the garden so they may not touch and eat from the tree of life and guarded the garden so that they could enter specifically so that they would not eat of the tree of life. So as I was thinking about this, I was wondering, what does the tree of life look like? So I went back and I found a photograph. It's a little grainy because it's 6,000 years old. But, okay, some of you got it. Okay. I looked a lot for different pictures of the tree of life. And when you look, it's, it's hard to find something that really captures. But the little bit that I saw here, it's like there seemed to be such beauty. There's light shining through it. So, again, did it look anything like this? I don't know. It's a picture. Okay. But this is what God was protecting the tree of life. And it's hard for us to understand this, but when God separated man from this tree, it was for their own benefit. That he was protecting them. This was actually a gift that God was given man to remove them from the tree of life. Because I want you to play out this scenario. Okay, if God had left them in the garden and he said, okay, you can eat from any tree you want except this tree, history would repeat itself, right? 
So man would have taken to eat from the tree of life. And the reason that this was a gift from God is that he knew that if they would take and eat of the tree of life, they would live forever in the fallen state that they were in. I want you to think about that. That had God left access to the tree of life, man would have eaten of it and would have lived forever in the fallen state of separation from God. As a thought of that, again, I can't make this contrast um, strong enough, but I think this picture may help a little bit. That God's answer to what had happened in the fall and removing that from them from this tree of life was to give this tree of life. The cross. I, I can't, I couldn't picture enough of the contrast. But this, when I looked at it, I thought, one is shining of light, and the other is surrounded by darkness. One is the tree of life, the other one speaks, everything about it speaks of death. But you know what? They were both created by God, and were both in the plan of God. Because the tree of life, the cross, was in God's plan back at creation. Before the foundation of the world, Jesus was the lamb that was slain. Even at creation, God knew that the tree of life would now look like a cross. And be the cross that would bear the Son of God. It sounds wrong. But the truth is that death is the door. Death is the door to eternal life. Death is the door to eternal life. It sounds painful, and it is. But we're going to unpack that because it's revealed in three significant ways that, are, that need to go in this order. So death is, is, is the door to eternal life, and it's revealed in Jesus' death and his resurrection. Death is the door to eternal life that is revealed in our salvation. And death is the door to eternal life that's revealed in our sanctification. There's no way around it. Jesus is the door, and the door that is provided comes through death. I know this is solemn, but it is so beautiful. Because the very thing that the enemy brought to man, he said, do this, do this, do this. His, his goal was death. And then God takes the ultimate death to defeat death. The beauty is incredible. Yes, it is solemn. Yes, there is pain. But the beauty that comes from this is absolutely incredibly overwhelming. And I want you to experience today that beauty. I want you to experience, again, what is on the other side of death. I want you to experience what that door means so that the fear of death can be broken. So that the fear of it can be broken and it won't hold you in slavery anymore. But in fact, you'll find that when we walk through death, as God has, has led us, it will provide abundant life. A life that goes beyond what we can comprehend, but it is being offered, that life is being offered to every one of us. Every single day of our lives, but the door to eternal life is death. So as we look at this, we're going to go down through those three. I'm going to referring, be referring back to, uh, to again, uh, the several verses that I had read from John chapter 12. I'm going to be looking up at some other passages as well. Now, one thing I want to tell you is that as I started unpacking this, the, the, these points became like so 
strong in my mind. It's like, God, I know you're leading this way. And I started looking at scripture, and there's like scripture everywhere. So I have scripture everywhere here on my page. <laughs> um, but I want to, I've just, honestly, part of what I, I needed to do last night and this morning, I just really felt drawn to, okay, God, I'm going to lay this before you. I'm going to let this die. Okay? And what I mean by that is that what I prepared, I, I want to set that aside, Lord, for whatever you want to do. So I'm, I've just really prayed that God would lead in both services to a message that he wants us to hear, each one of us. God has sp something specific he wants to speak to each one of us that are in this room right now, and he has maybe a, a slightly different message that he wants to speak to each one in the next service. But the things that we're going to look at, again, is that death is a door to, to eternal life as revealed in Jesus' death and resurrection. So that's the very first thing. That's the fundamental thing, that if this doesn't happen, nothing else can happen. If God doesn't deal with the, the issue of death through his son, Jesus Christ, Jesus' death and resurrection, nothing else can happen. We stay in the fallen state. There is no deliverance. There's no answer. Now, why God chose that way, I don't understand, except I know that this death points to God and reveals God like nothing else can. So Jesus said again in verse, in verse 24, this, this foundational uh, scripture that we've been looking at, very truly, I love this because everything that Jesus said is true. When he says truly, truly, or very truly, he's like, attention, this is really, 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 really important, okay? So we want to look at this, and we want to hear what Jesus is saying. That again, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And he was clearly, clearly speaking of his death, because then down in verse 27, he says, my soul is troubled. Okay, Jesus is human. He's not a, a, just a being that's separated from us. He's more connected to us than what we realize. But when he's acknowledging that, I, you know, he's, he's saying, I'm this kernel of wheat that is about to fall into the ground and die. Down in verse 27, he says this, My soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Death was not easy, but it was not an obstacle for Jesus. Death was not what he would even desire, but he wanted to do what God wanted him to do. So he was willing to take that step. For this very reason, I came to this hour. And for him to be able to look at, this isn't something removed from him. This is him in the center of it all. For him to be in the middle of this and say, God, this is, I'm here for this. He was becoming the door to eternal life through his death and resurrection. It had to happen. 1 Peter 3.8 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous God for the unrighteous us, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. So we understand that the, the death that Jesus died was not for his own sin, because he was without sin. Scripture says that, that the wages, the payment for sin is death. So that's why we die. Because sin has entered. We're sinners. And that brings death. That's the penalty. But Jesus was without sin. Never sinned. He was tested and tempted in all ways, even as we are, but yet without sin. So he was sinless. So when he died, he was not dying as a penalty for his sin. He was the substitution for us. He was the one that was standing in our place. And every aspect of his death was on our behalf. It wasn't for himself. It was 100% for us. Now, as I've been looking at this, I, I, 
I was thinking about the wrath of God, and I know that, that this, this is some wrestling, and I know that, and I've read some theological conversations about the wrath of God being poured out and things like that, but I want to let you know, I want you to hear something that's come to my attention, and it's this, is that sometimes in the cross, I think we can almost feel that it's God the Father against the Son. Do you ever feel that? I don't know, and I don't know that we I don't know that I've ever said that. But yet it can feel when we look at the cross that it's God the Father against the Son because God is pouring out his wrath and Christ is absorbing it. Right? But I want us to remember this that God is one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the cross was a divine partnership. The cross was a divine partnership of the Trinity working together, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That it wasn't turning one part of the Trinity against the other. There was an agreement that the, that, that the God had said, this is the solution, we're going for it. This is the only answer, and we're willing to pay this price together. Because we look at the, and we can see the sacrifice of Christ when we look at the cross, and we think about him being beaten, we think about and being insulted and mocked and all those things. But God was watching that too. The Father, the Father and the Son have a love for one another beyond what we can comprehend. The Godhead said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to pay the penalty of death for all mankind. And in Jesus' death and in his resurrection, he became the door. That door was through death. This is beautiful in Hebrews chapter 2. Again, this, I've referred to this verse a couple times already, but I want to back up. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. What God was doing in the cross and through the cross was breaking the power of him who holds death. The power of death was broken at the cross. And it was where God's perfect justice and his unfathomable love intersected. Because justice demanded payment. Justice demanded that there must be death for sin. And it was satisfied in the cross. God's love for us. Unbelievable. That Jesus would lay down his life for us. One of the things that has struck me and came again to light so strongly as I was reading this is that God used the hands of those who deserved the penalty to inflict the penalty on Christ. That man who had fallen away from God and deserved to pay the punishment of death were actually the tool that God uses to kill, used to kill the Son of God. And for Jesus to love so much that he would be giving his life for the very ones that took his life is beyond comprehension. You know, and sometimes I think we can feel like, maybe we've all wrestled with, but, but I'm not worthy of that. Yes, you're not. I'm not. Neither are those soldiers. But that's the love of God that says this is for you. There's nothing that you can do that is so bad that God's love, his death, his resurrection cannot cover. He has provided the way. He is the way, the truth and the life. His death shows his great love. His death shows that the penalty has been paid. His death shows that there is a door to freedom 
that we cannot make or we cannot achieve or accomplish on our own. Death is the door to eternal life as shown through the death of Jesus Christ. Now, there are two ordinances that we stand upon as a church. The one we observed last week was communion. And when we receive communion, what we're doing, or we are remembering, as Jesus instructed, we are remembering and recognizing and proclaiming his death until he comes again. You see how death is elevated because death is the door. It's Jesus' death, none other. Jesus' death is the door. In fact, a little bit later in John uh, chapter 12, Jesus made this statement. He said, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. So there's something about the cross that Jesus even prophesied and he declared, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. There's something attractional about the cross. When we look at it and we see that that death was for us, that Jesus' death was the payment, he, in his death, became the door to eternal life. And that eternal life, again, is knowing him. As we look at the cross and we see his death, we come to know him more. And that's his heart, that, they would, that we would know him. So the second part, again, that, that shows that death is the door to eternal life is our salvation. So the next verse in John 12, 25, uh, where Jesus says this, Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So the reality is that Jesus Christ is the way. That there is no other way. We must go through him. We must go through his provision. It's offered to all, but it only becomes our personal salvation when we walk through it. And that means that we must identify with his death. So when Jesus came to earth, he identified with our sin and and with our lostness. He became one of us. He took on flesh and he walked among us. So he identified with us. In order for us to be saved, we must identify with his death and resurrection. We must identify with the payment that was made. So Jesus said, anyone who loves their life will lose it. If we're going to hang on to our life and we're going to say, like, now, you know what? I think I can figure this out on my own. I think I can make a way. I think I can do, you know, whatever needs to be done, I can do it. That's hanging on to our life. It's loving our life. And the result, just like the warning in the garden, is death. You're going to lose. You're going to lose it. Now, we can hold on to things, life, in, in different ways. Anyone who loves their life, um, loving our life can mean satisfying the desires of the flesh, doing the things that feel good regardless of the cost, regardless of, of who may pay or even how it affects us or others. That can be loving our life. It could be going through, uh, going with a great goal of rising up in whatever the world says is success, which seems to change a lot, but it's, you know, it, it's going after those things and that becomes priority. It's loving life. Can I tell you another way that we can love life? And this may sound a little strange, maybe. Religion. We can get in this mindset that says, if I do enough things, if I fit into this box, if I serve enough people, it's going to do it. That's a way of loving life. I know it doesn't sound like it, but it's saying that my life, I can find the solution in and of myself. If we love life, we'll lose it. But what did Jesus say? Anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And we can unpack that with a lot of other scriptures. He's saying that that we need to die to self first and foremost by giving our lives to Christ and accepting his provision 
through Christ. Accepting that I can't do it, he can. There's no way, I'm incapable. Only Jesus Christ can lead me to life. And he is desiring for that. He's desiring for that opportunity. The second ordinance that we uh, stand in as a, as a church is water baptism. Uh, if you didn't notice, there's a very warm puddle of water over on this side. <laughs> um, it's, it's our baptismal tank. So it was set up and filled in at the beginning of services, about 110 degrees. So we're letting it cool off a little bit. Um, but it's not cold water. Some people were concerned about that. So uh, today after second service, we're going to uh, be having water baptism. Water baptism is not a means of salvation. Okay, I want to make sure that that's clear. We don't get baptized in water and become saved. I heard it said a long time ago that, you know, you can, you can go down a dry center and come up a wet center. Okay, the water doesn't change you. It's from York Water Company. I mean, what can it do? You know, so... Um, <clears throat> but what water baptism is and why it's so significant is this. It's a public acknowledgement of what has already happened on the inside. That it's a proclamation that says, I understand that my death is just what I deserve. But what I'm doing, I'm stepping into agreement with Jesus' death, understanding that Jesus' death was for me, and I'm accepting it. So it's I'm confessing with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in my heart that God raised him from the dead. That's what saves us. That's what brings life and life eternal into our being. And then the water baptism in this is this obedience to his word, because in the Great Commission, he said that we're to make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that it's that... It's that outward evidence. It's a proclamation. It's saying, I'm in. I'm all in. So what we're doing in our salvation, we're saying that death is the door to eternal life because we're coming into agreement with Jesus' death for us. When the person goes under the water, we believe in immersion, okay, that the Greek word in, in the New Testament speaks of baptism means to immerse or to, to submerge. So this is a decision that, again, is from the individual who has already stepped into relationship with God through Jesus Christ, go under the water, that is identifying with Jesus' death. And often say in the class, we don't leave you under for three days. Okay, so it's not, <laughs> you're identifying with Jesus' death, but it's not. Uh, so, so when we go under the water, it's identifying with Jesus' death. When we come up out of the water, it's, it's identifying with his resurrection. That this is our salvation. It's the door is death. It's Jesus' death that I identify with. I die to self. I say, I can't do it. Only Jesus can. I accept that provision in my life. And it's with a heart that we're justified, that we're believing that Jesus, is, Jesus has resurrected from the dead. It's with a mouth that we confess and we are saved. So we have about 20 people that we know of right now that are planning on being baptized after second service. Excite, yes, can we? Now they're going to share testimony. They're going to make a statement of faith. And then they're going to go under that water and come out. And when they come back, back up out, there is celebration. And we should celebrate. From death to life, we have been brought because of the death of Jesus Christ and our identify, identification, understanding that death is the doorway. Now, the thing is, is that um, your first service, so, uh, you know, this baptism is going to happen until after second service. That's about 1245, 1 o'clock. You can leave and come back. You really can. You're invited to. No pressure. Invitation, okay? I'd make a card, but I don't have time. So, um, <laughs> but you can come back and be part of the celebration if you would like. You can come back and be baptized if Jesus is calling you to that. Bring an extra change of clothes and a towel. I mean, that's, 
The confession. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll provide the statement of confession that you can share. God may be call, calling some of you to come back here and be baptized today. It's like, well, what's it going to do for me? What does obedience to God ever do? It brings you into a closer relationship with God. When I step in obedience, I find his blessing. When I walk in obedience, I'm led to another step of obedience. So I, I, this is an invitation. If God's speaking in your heart, this is not a pressure or a guilt trip. If you have not been baptized, you're invited. Come and be baptized today at 1245. If you want to come and just celebrate with family, that's a great thing to do. Uh, we invite you to come back. So this is in, in, in our salvation. We find that death is the door to eternal life. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that lives. It's Christ that lives within me. The life that I live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So that's, um, that's again, that, that death being the door to eternal life is clearly seen in our salvation. And finally, death is the door to eternal life is seen in our sanctification. Jesus said this, again in John 12, whoever serves me must follow me. Where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. God is calling us not just to identify with his death once at salvation, but to identify with his death daily in our living. In fact, let's condense it now. Moment to moment. Identifying with his death. So that means dying to whatever is of me that I can live to all that's of him. That means setting aside my own wants, my own desires, and recognizing that as I step into a daily death where I die to self, I'm opening the door to his eternal life, to knowing him, the one true God. Come and die does not sound like a good invitation unless that comes, that invitation is from the Lord. Come and die. Come and give yourself over that I can live. This is the process of sanctification. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Do you know how we discover life? We realize life is not about us. I know it sounds wrong, but yet that's what God says, is that when we lose our lives, we'll find it. We really discover life when we are daily and moment by moment entering into a death to self. What does that look like? Oh, it looks a lot of different ways throughout a day and throughout a week. You know, sometimes it's when we're about ready to go to a thing or we're in the middle of a thing that we know is against God's command, kind of like a garden experience. And we say, no, I need to die. Do you know what? I don't have that power to die on my own. That's why this order is so important. I need to go back and realize that Christ paid the penalty for me. I've stepped into life through his death. And now through dying to self, the Holy Spirit is about ready to come in and give me a power that I don't have. You know, we, we struggle with things a lot of times in our lives way too long because we refuse to die. We struggle with things in our lives, and this is not a word of condemnation. This is like I'm holding a mirror up and saying, you know, Mark, <laughs> you could be further in Jesus, but will you listen to me and come and die? 
It's that issue of surrender. Will I lay down my life? Will I lay down my agenda? Will I lay down my desires so that his life can rush through me? It's practical. I've had it scheduled this week. There was a place where I, I really wanted to be as a meeting I wanted to be at, and I had two other meetings that were happening, and so I laid it before God. And do you know what I really felt God lead me to? Lay down that meeting that you want to really go to most, and I want you to hear. I want you to be in these meetings. Was there any great light from heaven or revelation? Why? No. But yet I had a peace that I was where I was supposed to be. But I had to lay it before him. I had another meeting that was not planned. Believe it or not, something that was in my heart for a couple years, and God said, it's going to be this week. I said, no, it's not. I don't have time. <laughs> but I died. And I said, you know what, God? He brought light to my eyes. This isn't anything on me. He brought light to my eyes and said, you know, you've really longed for this. You've wanted for this. But now it's going to cost you a little bit. But you know what? God showed up and showed off, and it was the most amazing time. You know, there are tons of ways. Now, I'll tell you there's some other ways, though. This week where I failed to die. Screen time is something I, I've improved with and still want to do better at. It's harder to die to the screen, whether it's a phone or a computer or a TV screen or, or whatever. That's one of the ways that America has a really hard time dying, and I'm part of America. Is that where God's calling me to sit with him and be with him. And it's like, now let me take the easier way. God's saying, come and die. Sanctification. Come and set apart that time for me. And you know what? There's not a time that I haven't died to that and turned to him that I haven't been blessed. Jesus is saying, come and die. But he's saying, it's not by your power. You know what? We'll have the same struggle Christ did. He knew what he needed to do. And he said, if it's possible, make another way, God. But if not, I'm going to do it. You know, if we would just do that consistently, God, if there's another way, make it. But if you say this is the way, then I'm going to do it. That's a declaration of obedience. And only by the power of the Holy Spirit can we walk in that obedience moment by moment. And the Holy Spirit is provided for that very purpose. He will do it. Come and die. You know, when I looked at this, there was uh, uh, something that really, well, do you know what? let me give one more scripture. I told you I had a bunch here, but this one I can't, can't not read. Romans chapter 6, beginning with verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. We have freedom. What I, was, um, what I was amazed at is when I looked at it is that death is, at the, was, is right at every tra major transition in mankind. We read about it in the third chapter of Genesis, death entered the world. Did you know that it's the third chapter? That's at the beginning. Third chapter into Genesis, death enters the world. It drives us the third chapter from the end of Revelation where death and Hades are thrown in the lake of fire and there is no more death. There is no more death. There is no more death. There's no more tears. There's no more mourning. There's no, no more crying. We are stepping. God is preparing a time where we will step into eternal life, where it's life forever, but it's life in knowing him. It's life in being in a relationship with him that's deeper than we've ever experienced. So at the beginning, we have stepping into death. At the end, we have the death of death. But in the middle, we have the death of Jesus Christ. 
And he's calling us to himself to see that that death is the doorway. It's the door, his door to eternal life. So I want to end with this question. How is God calling you to come and die today? I believe he's speaking to every one of us because none of us have arrived yet. But how is God calling you to come and die today? I want you to just quiet your heart before him. I'm going to say a prayer. We're just going to sing a worship song. And God's going to do some amazing things as he leads us to the death that he desires for us. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, thank you so much for your great love for us. God, thank you that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. Jesus, that you who knew no sin was made sin for us. And God, we thank you that through the provision of eternal life, through the, resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we are invited and can step into salvation, which means that we have relationship with you. We know you. We walk with you. And God, we thank you that you call us not to be as we entered but to continually be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. So God, I just, I ask you, God, how are you calling me to come and die today? With my brothers and sisters, Lord, we lay this question before you. And we just ask, speak to us and give us the strength to step into that place of surrender. God, for some it will be to salvation, for others it will be a step in sanctification. But God, help us to hear your voice to say, Lord, yes, here I am. Do your will. Amen. I'm going to ask if, if you would stand and we're going to sing a song of worship and um, just obey whatever Jesus is calling you to do. He may be calling you to the front, be people here to pray with you, but um, follow whatever the Holy Spirit is speaking to you to do.